0: Section seventeen of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter five, part two. Rosa's hand was again laid on my arm. Martha, are you ill? You have turned pale and red all at once. Look, now, now! In fact, the chapelmaster, I should have said the chief master of the ceremonies, raised his staff and gave the signal of the approach of the imperial couple. This promised at any rate a sight worth seeing, for apart from their being the highest, they were certainly one of the most beautiful couples in the land. At the same time as the emperor and empress. Several archdukes and archduchesses had entered, and now the ceremony was to begin. Stewards and pages brought in the dishes full of food, and the emperor and empress placed them before the old people as they sat at table. This afforded more tableau than ever. The utensils, the meats, the way in which the pages carried them, reminded one of many famous pictures of banquets in the Renaissance style. Scarcely, however, had the dishes been put on, when the table was taken away again, a labour which, again, as a sign of humility, was done by the archdukes. And when the table had been carried away, the special climax scene of the piece, what the French called le clos de la pièce, the foot-washing, began. This was, indeed, only a sham washing, as the meal had been only a sham meal. Kneeling on the floor, the Emperor stroked down the feet of the old men with a towel, while the assisting priest made a show of pouring water out of a can over them, and so he glided from the first to the twelfth old man, while the Empress, whom one was accustomed to see only majestically seated on high, in the same humble attitude, in which she did not, however, lose anything of her accustomed grace, went through the same proceeding with the twelve old women. The accompanying music, or, if you like, the explanatory chorus, was formed by the reading of the gospel of the day. I should have been glad for a few moments to have been able to feel what was passing in the minds of these old people, while they were sitting in this strange costume stared at by a glittering crowd, and with the country's father, the country's mother, their majesties, at their feet— Probably, if the momentary exchange of consciousness I wished for could have been granted me, it would have been no definite feeling I should have experienced, but only a confused, dazzled half-dream, a sensation at once glad and painful, confused and solemn, a complete suspension of thought in those poor heads, already so ignorant and weak with age— All that was real and comprehensible in the matter for the good old folks might have been the prospect of the red silk purses with the thirty silver pieces in them, which were hung about each neck by their majesty's own hands, and of the basket of food which was given to each on their departure home. The whole ceremony was soon over, and the hall then began to empty at once. First the court went out, then all the others who had taken parts withdrew, "'and the public out of the scaffold and gallery at the same time. "'It was beautiful! It was beautiful!' whispered Rosa, with a deep breath. "'I answered nothing. "'I had, in fact, no cause to pity the confusion and incapacity of thought "'of the old folks in the ceremony, "'for my own conception of what had been going on was just as confused, "'and I had only one thought in my mind.' "'Will someone be waiting for us outside?' However, we did not get to the exit so quickly as I should have liked. First there was shaking hands and exchanging a few words with nearly all the spectators on the scaffold who had left their places at the same time as ourselves. They kept standing in a great group on the stairway, and it became a regular morning party. "'Good day, Tini. Bonjour, Marta. Ah, are you there too, Countess?' are you engaged for easter sunday good day your highness don't forget that we are expecting you to a little dance on monday evening were you at the sermon of the dominicans yesterday no i was at the sacred heart where my daughters are in retreat the next rehearsal for our charity performance is on tuesday at twelve dear baron pray be punctual the empress looked superb again did you notice, Laurie, how the Archduke Ludwig Victor kept sidling off to the divine Fanny? Madame, je l'honneur vous présenter mes hommage. Ah, c'est vous, ma jamais! I wish you good morning, Lord Chesterfield. Oh, how are you? Awfully fine woman, your Empress. Have you yet secured a box for Adelina Patti's performance, a wonderfully rising star?' "'So the news of Ferdy Drontheim's engagement with the banker's daughter is quite confirmed. "'It is a scandal!' "'And so the chatter went on from all sides. "'An unimpassioned listener would hardly have concluded from these speeches "'that they sprang out of the impressions of a scene of humble devotion just concluded. "'At last we got out of the gate, where our carriages were in waiting "'and a crowd of people were collected.' These folks wanted at least to see those who had been so lucky as to have seen the gentry who had been spectators of the court, and then, on their side, they could pass themselves off as people only a little less distinguished as having seen the spectators. We had scarcely got out when Tilling stood before me. He made me a bow. "'I have to thank you again, Countess Dotsky, for the beautiful wreath.' I gave him my hand— "'but could not speak a word. "'Our carriage had come up. "'I was obliged to get in, "'and Rosa was pressing me forward. "'Tilling raised his hand to his cap "'and was retiring. "'Then I made a great effort "'and said in a tone "'which sounded quite strange "'in my own ears, "'On Sunday between two and three "'I shall be home.' "'He bowed in silence "'and we got in. "'You must have taken cold, Martha.' remarked my sister as we drove away. Your invitation sounded quite hoarse, and why did you not introduce that melancholy staff-officer to me? I have seldom seen a less cheerful visage. On the day appointed, and at the hour named, Tilling was announced. Before that I had made the following entry in the red book. I expect that this day will be decisive of my fate. I feel such a solemnity, such an anxiety— so sweet an expectation. I must fix this frame of mind on these pages, so that, if I turn back to them again after long years, I may be able to recall quite vividly the hours which I am now looking forward to, with so much emotion. Perhaps it will turn out quite differently from what I expect, perhaps exactly the same. At any rate, it will be interesting to me to see how far anticipation and reality correspond— THE EXPECTED GUEST LOVES ME. THE LETTER HE WROTE FROM HIS MOTHER'S DEATHBED PROVES THAT. HE IS LOVED IN RETURN. THE ROSEBUD IN THE FUNERAL WREATH MUST HAVE SHOWN HIM THAT. AND NOW WE ARE TO MEET WITHOUT WITNESSES, MOVED TO OUR HEART'S CORE. HE, IN NEED OF COMFORT, I, PENETRATED WITH A DESIRE TO CONSOLE HIM. I EXPECT THERE WILL NOT BE MANY WORDS PASS. TEARS IN BOTH OUR EYES hands clasped tremblingly, and we shall have understood one another. Two loving, two happy mortals, earnest, devoted, passionate, devoutly happy, while in society the thing will be announced indifferently and dryly, somewhat in this fashion. Have you heard? Martha Dotsky is engaged to Tilling. A poor match. It is five minutes past two. He may come now, any minute. There is a ring— This palpitation, this trembling, I feel that— This is as far as I got. The last line is scrawled in letters, which is almost illegible, a sign that this palpitation, this trembling, was not a mere figure of rhetoric. Anticipation and reality did not correspond. During his half-hour's call, Tilling behaved very reservedly and very coldly. He begged my forgiveness for the liberty he had taken in writing to me, and hoped I would attribute this breach of etiquette to the loss of control which a man in such sorrowful moments may well experience. Then he told me something more of the last days and of the life of his mother, but of what I was looking for, not a word. And so I also became every moment more reserved and cold. When he rose to go I made no effort to detain him, "'and I did not ask him to come again. "'When he had gone, I rushed again to the red book, "'which was lying there open, "'and went on with the interrupted topic. "'I feel that all is over, "'that I have shamefully deceived myself, "'that he does not love me, "'and will even think now "'that he is as indifferent to me as I to him. "'I received him in an almost repellent way. "'I feel that he will never come again.' and yet the world holds for me no second man. There is no one else so good, so noble, so intellectual. And there is no other woman, Frederick, who has loved you as I have loved you. Assuredly not your princess, to whom, as it seems, you have turned back again. Son Rudolph, you must now be my consolation and my stay. From this time I will have no more to do with woman's love." It is mother's love alone, which must now fill my heart and my life. If I can succeed in forming you into such a man as he is, if some day I may be wept by you as he weeps for his mother, I shall have gained my end. It is surely a foolish habit, this diary writing. These wishes, plans, and views, always changing, vanishing, and coming anew, which form the current of our soul's life— To strive to immortalize them by writing them down, is a mistake to start with, and brings before oneself, when one peruses it in after years, the constant shame of having to recognize one's own fickleness. Here are recorded now on the same page, and under the same date, two such different humors. First the most confident hope, and by its side the most complete despair and the pages next it may give proof of something quite different again. The Easter Monday was favoured by the most splendid spring weather, and the ride in the Prater, which takes place according to custom on that day, a kind of holiday preparatory to the great Corso of May Day, went off with especial luster. I cannot say how much this luster, this delight in holiday and spring which was all around me, contrasted with the sorrow which filled my spirit, and yet I would not have given up my sorrow, would not have had again the same light, and therefore also empty heart, as two months before, when I had not made Tilling's acquaintance. For though my love was, according to all appearance, an unhappy one, yet it was love, and it implies a raising of the intensity of life that warm, tender feeling which expanded my heart as often as a dear image passed before my inward eye. I could not have lived without it. I had never thought it likely that the subject of my dreams would come before my eyes here in the Prater, in the midst of this whirl of worldly pleasure. And yet, when, without thinking, I happened once to let my gaze wander towards the right, I saw far off galloping down the promenade in our direction an officer, in whom, though my short sight could not distinguish him clearly, I at once recognized Tilling. As soon as he came near and crossed our carriage with a salute in passing, I returned his greeting, not with a mere bow, but with warm gestures. At the same moment I was aware that I had done what was unbecoming and improper— "'Who is that you were making those signs to?' asked my sister Lily. "'Ah, I see,' she added. "'There is the inevitable Conrad walking. "'You were waving your hand to him?' "'This timely appearance of the inevitable Conrad came very apropos for me. "'I was thankful to my trusty cousin for it, "'and proceeded at once to give effect to my gratitude. "'Look here, Lily,' I said. "'He is, I am sure, a good man.' and no doubt is here only on your account again. You should take pity on him. You should be good to him. Oh, if you knew how sweet it is to have any one dear to you, you would not shut your heart so. Go make him happy, the good fellow. Lily stared at me in astonishment. But suppose he is indifferent to me, Martha? Perhaps you are in love with someone else? She shook her head. No, No one. Ah, poor thing. We made two or three more turns up and down the promenade, but the one whom my eyes were searching after all about I did not see a second time. He had quitted the Prater again. End of section 17